Uh, so he goes on to say, people are all too ready to believe that the choice is not really necessary, that it is imposed upon them merely by a particular economic system under which they live. What they resent is, in truth, that there is an economic problem. So this is how you get a bunch of people with iPhones and, and going to these prestigious universities saying we need socialism because this darn economic system we're, we're all oppressed under. This is what, because it's kind of this change from like, okay, you, you have to kind of manage your life to saying, all right, well, you know, there's sacrifices in management of that life. And these people, this central authority is going to take that sacrifice away um, and, and guarantee you a better life. So that's why people blame the economic system for having less uh, than others when, when you see others have more. And uh, you can do this in a free capitalist society. The, the irony of it, and like in a free society, you can make this criticism and the planned society, you cannot make this criticism, even yep. if it's valid. Um, yeah. So, so what's, what's the Hoffer quote really fast there in a free society, equality is the cry of the masses and in an equal society, freedom is the cry of the few. Yeah. Yeah. There was actually a quote that started out the last chapter is very, very similar to that. That I don't, I don't remember if we read the Lord Acton quote actually. Um, so yeah, people, so people don't want to admit that they have to sacrifice um, things in, in order to achieve what they call their, their higher values or goals. You know, an example, people who are rich and successful tend to sacrifice a ton of free time in order to get to be the best. I mean, people think like all these rich, ultra rich people just like sit back and just let the money pour in. But no, if you actually interview some of these people, it's like, no, I spent every waking hour trying to perfect my craft to be the best out there. And, you know, this, this monetary capital gained is kind of just a side effect of them wanting to be the best in that industry. Um, so, you know, when people sit back and be like, oh, it's, just, you know, Bezos just sitting back in an armchair flying on a private jet going on all these, you know, buying a luxury uh, yacht and, uh, you know, he doesn't have to do anything. It's just all of his workers doing stuff. Well, no, that's that's never the case. Um, and people are all too willing to ignore those nece the necessity to sacrifice to be the best. And then they just say they want to change the economic system uh, in the attempt to better their lives, in the attempt to kind of equalize this wealth distribution. So the planners are always yep. willing to guarantee that better life. Uh, and as we've seen time and time again, uh, as we see, you know, as a, I try not to be too like relevant in, in current events because, you know, people might be watching this a year or two from now and might be like, what are you talking about? But Cuba, we see it right now. <laughs> the planners promised them something in Cuba and we're, we're seeing right now it's not quite working out that way. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot there. You know, one of the things, I mean, even just before getting to Cuba, you know, there's this propensity that on um, people that are open or think that these are like good ideas that aren't too good to be true um, to where I can't remember what the name of the fallacy is, but it's where you assume that where you see a problem or disparity is also where it originates. You know, and so the example that I use is like, okay, if you look at the NBA and you say, okay, um, it's 80% black or something like that. And if you look at starters, I think starters, it's close to 90% black. You know, if you're a person, you could look at that and say, oh man, look how racist the NBA is, right? Like they, the, the NBA, all of these teams and their team managers or whatever, um, they must not be recruiting or, or hiring all of these super well-qualified like Mongolian players and Jewish players, you know, and Polynesian players and white players, like they're being so racist against them. And so you could look at that phenomenon in the NBA and not try to look any, 
anything behind the NBA and or underneath of it that feeds a, the system where the players come up and just assume that those disparities are the result of some type of injustice. And we see the same thing with any of these outcomes, like disparate, um, disparate outcomes in life and these inequalities. And they assume, say, well, it must be the, the system. And the problem there is it's like, you're, you're, you're not going deep enough to look at what, and of course, by the way, the people who are oftentimes the ones who are making these generalizing claims don't want to go deep enough. They're just trying to, you know, um, harness the resentment of people that are, are where the system isn't working for them, which by the way, that's an increasing, increasingly large group of people in America. It's not that they're being told that the system doesn't work for them. The system really isn't working for them in a lot of ways. And so they're being fed like, well, this is who you need to blame. This is who you need to blame. Give us power, give us power. Well, we can guarantee you that it'll be better. Like you said, and a place that tried that, you know, was, was Cuba and it's terrible. You know, you want to look at f what the definition of fake news is, you know, you're getting where on Twitter where it was trending. And by the way, it only trended for a, like a day or two. Um, and it's, it's not trending now, but where it's, oh, all of this unrest in Cuba is due to lack of COVID vaccines and, you know, and a few other things. It's like no, healthcare is starving is what I heard. Yeah, exactly. Their healthcare was too good. You know, Michael Moore ends that movie sicko, you know, going there for, I think, insulin or something and saying, we all need to have that kind of healthcare system. And less than 50%, 15% of the Cuban population is vaccinated. Um, and people were clamoring just for basic services, which again, whenever you mentioned at the beginning of this, um, the way in which uh, they're like, oh, th these, those kind of basic things like food and, and clothing and med like, let us take care of that. Like that's, you shouldn't have to worry about that. It's like, what happens in the places where they let us take care of that, you know, in a completely totalizing way. Um, that's what's going on in Cuba, in Cuba right now. And so I think there's another place, I don't think we have the quote in here, but where, you know, Hayek, I love the way he, he'll frame some of these things where he'll say, once again, they promise more than they can deliver, <laughs> you know, and, and he'll say that over and over again. It's like, here's the promise. Here's what they deliver. It's like you wanted freedom and instead you're going to get a gun to the back of the head, you know, and, and that's how this system ends up working pretty much every single time. Yeah. There's a quote. I don't remember who said this originally, but the, the quote is all shallows are clear. Uh, all shallow thinking seems obvious because you don't have to introduce nuance into it. So I think it's part really of the good. strategy yeah, of, of all authoritarians in general, but, but planners especially is like, you look at this disparity, you only have to look at the disparity and make the assumption based on this, the only data that you see, because all shells are clear. If it's shallow enough thinking, then it's obvious what the answer is. But when you have to dig yep. a little deeper, then that, then it gets a little muddier. Um, so I think that's, you know, an important, yep. it really, if anyone does that to you, it doesn't have to be a planner or, you know, someone, if a, a crazy right winger says that to you, if they say, oh, our country's going to, you know, crap. And it's because of all these illegals coming over. It's like, okay, well, it's pretty shallow thinking, yeah. you know, maybe there's a bit more nuance to that. So I would just be aware of anyone who, who proposes that as a, a yep. hey, here's the Anytime problem. someone provides like a univariate answer, you know, mm -hmm. to any complex uh, phenomena, like you should probably ignore them. You could, you could think about is that a factor, right? Like, I think that's perfectly reasonable to go. Yeah. Is that a factor? Sure. Um, but if, if, if they say, well, it's just racism or it's just capitalism or whatever, it's like, probably not, you know, in a complex thing, you know, obviously in like maybe one specific interaction. Sure. Um, but the more complex it is, the more complex the, 
the answer and the explanation are going to be. Um, but of course, that's these people are not in the uh, <laughs> in the in the business of providing complex, nuanced answers. It's um, give us power so that we can. Um, well, well, we'll tell you about that part later, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. What we'll do with that power? Yeah, you'll um, see. So uh, he goes on to talk about this idea of, of potential plenty, which I kind of, I like this idea because it's a promise. Talk about empty promises made by planners. This is one of the biggest ones that's so flat on its face is dumb, uh, but they, they, I, I like what um, Hayek does here. Where he kind of shows the about face that they did to flip their understanding of, you know, what uh, economics, what uh, type of production incentives that they, they promised their people. So uh, I'll go into it here. Quote, in their wishful belief that there is really no longer an economic problem, people have been confirmed by irresponsible talk of potential plenty, which, if it were a fact, would indeed mean that there is no economic problem which meet, which makes the choice inevitable. But although this snare has served socialist propaganda under various names as long as socialism has existed, it is still pro it is still as palpable palpably untrue as it was when it first when it was first used over 100 years ago in all this time not one of the many people who have used it has produced a workable plan of how production could be increased so as to abolish even in the western europe in even in western europe what we regard as poverty not to speak of the world as a whole so they're talking about there's no no one has come with an economic plan, uh, the socialist economic plan, to say production is going to get boosted. They they make the promise, but the 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 people who are planners, ironically, never have a plan to do it. That reminds me of what what is it, uh, Elizabeth Warren? I have a plan for this. It's like no, you don't. <laughs> you say you're going to have a plan for it, and that that is really the capacity they're acting in. But then they do about face here. That uh, again to quote the reader may take it that how whoever talks about potential plenty is either dishonest or does not know what he is talking about. This is kind of funny to me to read Hayek kind of doing this like diss here. I just kind of picture it as the early plight version of like, you're an idiot, stop talking. Um, and to continue, yet it is false hope as much as anything which drives us along the road of planning. So, uh, you know, I think this is a really good a really good example of, of uh, you know, we talked about how Orwell is influenced by Hayek. And I think like this chapter right here is what like Orwell took to to do a lot of his novels and, and even to be more specific about Animal Farm because he even goes through the steps here. Step one, promise potential plenty. Step two, control consumption. Step three, control uh, production. And then step four is a slow death via starvation or government-sponsored genocide. You know, these are all the steps that the planners end up taking that's going to come to this inevitable conclusion as they make all these fa false promises along the way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I do like that quote. The reader may take it, whoever talks about potential planning either dishonest or doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but I mean, I think that one of the things that he kind of, he doesn't say it specifically there is like, this is just a false hope, you know? I mean, I think that what, whatever the reasoning is, there are people advocating for it. And wherever there's people advocating for it, there's going to be people who are power hungry that will go, yeah, yeah, potential plenty. I'll give it to you, you know? And just think about that. I follow this account called uh, Libs of TikTok or something like that on Twitter, where it's like the, you'll find these crazy lefties making these TikTok videos. And so mm -hmm. someone catalogs these. But the one that I showed you last night of this guy talking about how communism was so great. And he's like, communism is the closest we'll get to a utopia. And, and it, literally, he ends it by saying, you won't have to work 60 hours a week to put food on, on your plate. Um, you, you won't have to worry about, or he says, um, free access to the best healthcare and the freedom to do whatever you want without being restrained by money. It's like, okay, I don't have to work. 
So I get all the food I want given to me. Um, I have access to the best health care, and that doesn't cost me anything either. And not only that, I can literally do whatever I want without having to worry about it costing me anything. So I could go to space like Richard Branson, right? Under the system, Obviously. we all could, right? It's like the amount of not like – I do think that it's like, yeah, you are either really stupid and naive and don't know what you're talking about or you're being dishonest. That guy in that video, I think, was someone who is really stupid and naive and doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and that's where you get this institutionalized problem where it's like I grew up in this like, you know, little lefty bubble in my home and then I go right to university or whatever and I never engage with the real world. I can see how someone would walk away with these crazy ass beliefs. Um, I know. Uh, so there was a girl I went to school with who she had a cousin that uh, her family was able to convince her and maintain her belief in Santa Claus until she was like 16, 16 or 17. She believed in Santa Claus for Spoilers. that long. You know, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. sorry guys, Santa uh, is not real, but Krampus is, and he's coming mm -hmm. for you. And so, but the point is, is that like, he's not wrong. Like, these are things that sound good, you know, to the, what does Bane say? To, to the uninitiated, but we are initiated, aren't we, Bruce? You know, and so it's like, to those who are uninitiated in the real world, now it works. Sounds great, you know, um, and that's fine if you want to have those utopian fantasies but the problem is is they're advocating for them and there are lots of people like elizabeth warren for example who i think is one of the most detestable politicians of our time um who will say yeah i've got a plan i can give you all those things just give me the power um and here's me awkwardly drinking a beer on a you know webcam or something like that with my husband my husband um, who looks like he's like it just doesn't work out that way he just looks like he's oh, yeah, like freaking hostage. being kept slave like he's like trying to like morse code blank help me <laughs> in the video. why why did i Gosh dang it! Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a trap. I would not want to. I would not want to be in. No, no. Um, so, like I said, they end up doing like an about face. The the people who are the projected planners. So he goes into a quote here about that that change in direction that they, they have. So, quote: While the popular movement still profits from by this false belief, the one we talked about for potential plenty, claim that a planned economy will produce a substantially larger output than the competitive system, it is being progressively abandoned by most students of the problem. Even a good many economists with socialist views who have seriously studied the problems of central planning are now content to hope that a planned society will equal the efficiency of a competitive system. So like what they've abandoned, like it's going to produce more. And now they're saying, well, it's probably going to produce just as much, which is still not true, but this is part of the, the change that they're making. So to continue quote, they advocate planning no longer as its superior pro productivity, but because it will in enable us to secure a more just and equitable distribution of wealth. Where have we heard this before? Uh, they, they are no longer promising this never, never, increase, ever. this increase in productive output, um, but they are promising, uh, you know, the, that uh, great redistribution of wealth. I know we have a bit more of the comment here, but I think that kind of sums it up pretty good there because, you know, planned economies literally never become as efficient in the sphere of production as a, a market economy. The only like efficiency that they have that is an increase from a free society is like their uh, concentration camps and the way they're able to, to systematically, uh, you know, uh, genocide people. It tends to be what well, they're, they're most productive at. Well, to, to at least steel man a little bit, they do actually increase efficiency it's just they increase efficiency in one area at the cost of all of these other areas, right? So one of the things I was thinking about earlier 
and we were talking about um, like having an, a job assigned to you. What have we been hearing a lot about um, with uh, whether it's Green New Deal stuff or, you know, this I- infrastructure, everything's infrastructure. Oh, jobs program, government jobs program, right? And they use these examples of FDR's New Deal, which was a disaster, um, as something that we should try to replicate on an even larger scale. They did effic- efficiently um, rally the, gov- the entire society around the production of tanks and ammunition and Colt 45s, you know, and all of these other things. But what happened? They converted like refrigerator factories, you know, microwaves. I think what's the one you can get? Um, you can find handguns that have that are made by uh, like not Maytag. There's some that you can find that are made that are manufactured by uh, maybe a vacuum cleaner company or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they're worth a lot because they were made in the and so they're branded with that thing. I, people can look that up, um, but it's it's either like a vacuum or a, like a a washer dryer or a refrigerator type. But, but imagine have a gun. Is, I have a gun that's got like dust devil on the side of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, but the point is, is they did increase efficiency, but what happened there? What if I wanted to produce, what if I'm like, no, I want to make refrigerators too bad. Right. What if I want to make microwaves? What if I want to make bicycles? They, oh, there was cars. Remember that they did the same thing. There were car manufacturers that were cranking out tanks and other military vehicles, you know? And so it's like, um, what if they wanted to make cars? Too bad, right? So it's, they did increase efficiency on what the planners wanted to make in that wartime situation. And of course, that's the point is it's like, they people looked around and they're like, what if we did this all the time? You know, what if this was just the natural state of things? And we could say, nope, we're not gonna do fridges anymore. We're gonna do whatever it is that I want, you know? Yeah. And so, um, they do increase efficiency, but it's at the decreased um, options and freedom of people to make what they want to make, produce what they want to produce. Because what's the other side of that? They ration stuff, right? You couldn't get even chocolate, you know, things like that. That's that's how um that you know that's how Nutella Nutella was invented was during World War II. There was a, it wasn't in the United States, but it was in France or Switzerland. I think it was Switzerland um, where there were chocolate was being rationed, and so there was this guy who goes. What if I mix in hazelnut to try and, you know, boost my production of a thing and, you know, to supplement the chocolate? And there you have Nutella. But my point is, is that whenever you have the government directing the entire economy around one thing, every other thing that people might want becomes rationed because it's not being produced or it's not being produced in the volume that people are accustomed to. And so and that's the point. If you really want to look at the practical aspects of a planned economy, look at United States during World War II. And like all of the things that were rationed, all the things that weren't available, you know, there was a whole thing during that point in time where they were trying to get um, this last one, but it's, it's super fascinating. There was a whole propaganda campaign um, for organ meat. So because regular meat, cuts of meat were being sent to the front lines, they had all this pro- these propaganda campaigns to, in- to make it where wives would maybe want to cook organ meat. So they would have these things where here's some recipes for like, you know, liver and onions and stuff comes out of that. And it's like, you're doing your patriotic duty by eating organ meat, like liver and hearts and whatever, instead of regular meat, because regular meat was not as readily available because the planners were using it in these other places. It was being rationed. Um, So that's the point. If you want a a picture of what that even kind of looks like, in its early stages, you know, that's, that's what it is right there. And it's not something that you should aspire to. 
Yeah, I think they did the same thing with carrots too. That carrots are supposed to improve your vision. There is something that improves your vision in carrots, but it's no greater than any other vegetable. So I think they did well, the I've same never thing seen a rabbit wearing glasses, so I don't know if that's no, if yeah, you know, there might be that. something to the carrots thing. Yeah, um, good point. Uh, but so I think you, I, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on the increased productivity because there's something called like the honeymoon phase after socialism takes over, where a free market used to be. They have all these yeah. amazing tools that are there. They boost uh, because they are able to plan these things, are able to boost production for a short amount of time. But that is the same, you know, ideas to you Total don't you, you don't use a wartime economy to make it a permanent economic system because now you've used this temporary condition to prove the permanent condition and you're going to run out of all these mm -hmm. other things or you have no incentive to improve. So, you know, as I, uh, you know, flush out the idea of that when the planners make change their messaging from promising increased productive output to a more evenly, descri evenly distributed productive capital, there's several major holes in this logic. Uh, one being, you know, wealth distribution assumes that wealth uh, was distributed arbitrarily in the first place. Uh, you know, redistrib redistribution of capital in incentivizes less production, not more. So already there, you're hurting your productive value by saying, yeah. uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, if you're really good at this thing, you're not going to get paid any more than this other guy because, you know, we're trying to evenly distribute the wealth and that disincentivizes him from doing all the, the things that he is able to do above and beyond the normal person. So you're already you're kind of taking that hit to your, your productive output. And the other thing is the redistribution of capital made in a free society will effectively end the free market. You know, you start socialism, the free market's now over yep. and this ends all the source of capital for future redistribution. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You're cutting off, you know, you're, you're literally shutting off the well and now you cannot uh, maintain this productive output. It's naturally going to go down over time. And after that ha honeymoon period where you may have that boost, you know, you may have, uh, you know, all these different items that are now more affordable to the people. Um, you're quickly going to run out of those items. Or as I say, a lot of times in the sphere of healthcare, you know, I'll have a lot of friends like, why is it for-profit healthcare? And it's like, well, if you go in, you know, for, you know, XYZ surgery now, it's like you can get it done now. But imagine if we if we uh, pub made public health care 100 years ago, we probably wouldn't have this now yeah. because there'd be no incentive yeah. to create those innovations. So you're, you're really, you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. You can't uh, expect to have both and maintain the type of progress that we've seen. And we know that free markets have created this progress because it created so much freedom uh, and, and human prosperity all over the world, all over the world. Yeah, I mean, my my point about how it increases efficiency is my is that they can efficiently do one thing at the cost of literally everything else. Mm -hmm. So, like, think about that hotel you talked about staying in in China, and how in China there's provinces that will rally to build entire cities just to boost their GDP temporarily, and then the city sits abandoned, right? So, mm -hmm. in the United States, we wouldn't be able to do that nearly as quickly because people would go, "F you, I'm going to do what I want to do." Right. And so there would be a, the the freedom would get in the way of that. But, but I, I don't I'm not saying that they efficiently do anything worth doing yeah. or, you know, long term. And again, that's the I think that's also is it a, a soul quote or it might be a Milton Friedman where it's like socialism always works in the beginning um, because there's plenty of wealth. But eventually you in a free society, you've you've taken all the wealth. And so there's just nothing left to redistribute. And all you can do is send people to labor camps. To, to make this one thing, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that's, I'm not saying it makes society actually more efficient generally um, and even, or even permanently in, in that one way, but it does at least for a short period of time, again, back to World War II, it's like, we were probably making more tanks during that time than we ever had in the past, right? 
-hmm. because they rallied the economy around that at the expense of everything else. Um, and that's what planning does is it makes it where freedom is not the thing. It's what does the planner want to do? That's the thing. You know, another way of yeah. this propaganda to eat organ meat is it's, that's another way of saying like, you're not going to get this other meat. So let's kind of gently, you know, tell you deal with it. Right. And that's mm -hmm. how they did with all these other things. You know, like you mentioned what carrots or any other thing, I think um, they did that with cheese a while back where there was like the surplus of, of cheese. And, and so that's where you get, there was like the, the got milk campaign and some other thing, this was all government stuff where there was, you know, they're in the, uh, working with these, the, uh, these lobbyists from the farm, from the farm industry where it's like, how can we push this thing or push this thing, you know? And so anytime you have that happening, it's because the government is pushing it for, for whatever reason. And it's mm -hmm. not really a free thing. Obviously gut milk is very different than, um, you have to eat livers and stuff, but, but the point yeah. is, is that, uh, in a planned economy, there's less freedom and there's there's more uh, coercion. That's yeah, it. I'm just trying to think if, if if we uh, if we uh, would have gone to a planned economy after World War II, would we all be driving like Sherman tanks instead of like a Prius? Because you know, I'm willing to make that trade off. I Some think tanks. I'd be okay with that. I'm, I have been told that we could not actually resist the government effectively unless we had you know Shermans or Bradley linebackers or uh, or <laughs> nuclear warheads. So. You know, maybe that would actually have been better for us in the long run. Nice. Um, so the, the next section he goes in here now, which I, I really love. This is probably my favorite theme of the book. And uh, he hammers home and a little bit in every chapter. But he talks about a return. You know, the planners uh, always say they want to be progressive. They want to progress into the future. You know, this post-capitalist, mm -hmm. uh, post-Western, post-Christian uh, post future where in reality what they're really promising is a pre-western pre-capitalist pre-christian future um where you know we return back to the dark ages and that's effectively the promise and, and here yeah. they kind of make that overt promise um you know in this section that that's what the guy so real fast that's what that guy said in that video remember last night he's like yeah. we yeah. haven't actually had this except for the first maybe four thousand years of human history it's like oh when people died at 30 you know, and yeah. like there's a 60% infant mortality rate and we all had dysentery and you, there was no upward mobility because there was no money. Like, yeah, that sounds like a great thing to emulate, but yeah, yeah. sorry. That's, that's just what that made me think. No, of. It's just no, so it insane. So insane. Yeah. That was a, uh, this is why I'm not on TikTok, but. Um, so yeah, Hyatt goes on to talk about how some of the planners are okay with a quote, return to the ties and regulations which have governed economic activity through most ages and that therefore the infringements on personal liberty need not be greater than they were before the age of laissez-faire. Basically, the system worked in the past. The claim is the system worked in the past. Why not now? The problem is that we have gone so far in the development of just uh, the world economy and, and human capital that um, you know, at least for very large economies, it's strongly reliant on each other. And I think you were talking about before the interrelated, uh, um, interrelated activities that you cannot escape from. You know, if you want to take control of the economy, you got to take control of all these other social things because all of these activities are interrelated. Um, and that you know, planning would need to take a larger role in everyone's life. So he continues, quote, the passion for the collective satisfaction of our needs with which our socialists have so well prepared the way for totalitarianism and which wants us to take our pleasures as well as our necessities at the appointed time and the prescribed form. That's that's crazy right there uh, is, of course, partly intended as the means of political education. 
but it is also the result of the ex exigencies of planning, which consists essentially in depriving us of choice in order to give us whatever fits into the plan and at the time determined by the plan. You, you, when we've progressed in the future, where all you know, all of our economic activities are related to each other and reliant on each other, it's no longer the time where you you got to eat. You just went fishing in the backyard. Uh, you didn't have electricity. You just burned wood for heat. You burned wood for light. You know these things. You can't just live off your own means anymore because we're so interconnected. So if we do build a planned society, do build a planned economy, it's going to affect you. And in, in every possible way it can and depriving you of all this choice. And, uh, you know, you can only do this one thing if it fits within the plan and the framework of the plan. Yeah. And, and not only that, but this idea of that it worked in the past, it's like, okay, well, the, even just the concept, like a lot of people today, if you were to say, what is serfdom? right? They wouldn't know what that meant because we've largely moved out of a, we're not at a place in history where modern serfdom, you know, or where serfdom really exists, at least in the way it's historically understood, you know, the same with like indentured servitude and all of these things. And it's like, it didn't really work in the past. Like, yeah, were there people that were able to, you know, go out and homestead and, and live off land? Okay, fine, whatever. Um, but again, they got dysentery, you know, they didn't have access to all these things. And so the idea that, that going backwards in virtually any way, like substantively in, in quality of life is, and the way that we produce this quality of life is so insane to me. And it just shows either the ignorance or the naivete um, or the dishonesty, to quote Hayek, of, of the people advocating for this stuff. But I mean, he, he sums it up, like you said, right there, where it's like, look, this is about depriving us of choice. And we get whatever fits best in the plan as determined by the plan. That's what we get. What's the opposite of that? Getting what we want or what we want to work for, right? Or getting the opportunity to work for what we want. Um, or to not work if we don't want to do that and deal with the consequences of that. Go be a hobo somewhere. Um, you know, I guess you could say that the government does provide universal housing to homeless people because that's our tax dollars build bridges. So it's like, <laughs> you know, if you want to do that, that's where they're sleeping under. Um, but but the point is, is that there is no choice. There is no choice under this. And anyone that wants to move, what's funny is that I, I mean, and tell me what you think about this. I don't think that the people today would, would make, well, outside of that insane guy on TikTok, like we need to go back, you know, 4,000 years of human history. They're going to run into some, some, uh, that, that guy on TikTok has clearly never, <laughs> that guy on TikTok has clearly never played Oregon Trail. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, or Age of Empires or something, um, or read a history book. But it's like, you know, I don't think, you know, I guess my point is that I, I think most people wouldn't advocate for that. Um, nowadays, it's, it's that they're advocating for some future thing that doesn't exist and can't exist. Hmm. Um, but either way, it's utopian. You know, it's either a, a, a like, opaque, rose-colored lens to view the past, or it's a naive, like, blind and ignorant way to view the future. But the thing that both of those visions have in common is that neither of them are rooted in reality. And that's the point of this, is that none of these visions are rooted in reality. Because mm -hmm. it leads, it's the idea that you're going to get freedom from having your freedoms taken away. You're going to increase your choices by reducing your choices. I mean, it's just not how life works. And, and anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you want to get into this footnote, but I, I 
there's always like when you read this book, when you read this book, you got to pay attention to the footnotes. If you have the audible version, the guy reads it anyways, and he kind of changes his tone. So you, you might uh, catch on if it's a footnote or not, but there's some brilliant stuff uh, that, that he puts in here. And and one of these uh, is definitely one of those uh, brilliant observations. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go ahead and read that. So he says it is no accident that in totalitarian countries, be it Russia or Germany or Italy, the question of how to organize the people's leisure has become a problem of planning. The Germans have even invented <clears throat> for this problem the horrible and self-contradictory name of Freizegustalung, I don't know, Freizegestaltung, I don't know, word in German. Literally, the shaping of the use uh, made of people's free time, as if it were free time when it has to be spent in a way ordained by authority, but what's if you? I mean, if you're going to look at the theme of this chapter and why I think he just straight up puts, he doesn't call it uh, uh, planning and uh, economics. He, he he talks about this is totalitarian. How it leads to totalitarianism. Just think about you know, for those of you still watching or listening, think about the progression of the idea here, where it's like, look, there's this little part of society. You'll have more freedom. You can have your democracy. You can have your freedom. Just let us take care of this one thing. Okay, well, wait a second. So now that we have control of this one thing, look, we're going to – you might have to talk to us about what kind of business you want to open or because now the, the use of all goods, including, okay, let's look at things like lumber. You know, you can't build a house, all these other things. It, it all goes through us because we control the means of production. So, you know, I, it is just this one thing, but you're just going to have to talk to us, you know, if you want to do literally anything that – requires you to obtain things well wait a second so in order for the, us to produce stuff we have to have labor we have to have workers so we might actually tell you what job you have to have um and so and that includes where you're going to live and when you can come to work and all those other things well wait a second so if we do that then we have to at least have something we need to be able to get you when we need you and we can't let you have all this free time so we should probably come up with a system to make sure that we also are coordinating how you use your leisure time. So it's went from, you can have all the freedom, just let us take care of these little things to, we're going to tell you what you're going to do, where you're going to live, where you're going to work, who you're going to work with, who you're going to be around, um, what, what type of thing you're going to be producing, what type of thing you're going to be given, what you have access to, what you don't have access to, and also how you use your freaking free time, right? Um, that, that wasn't a hypothetical. That footnote is not a hypothetical. Germany was a planned economy and they're like we need to figure out how we can direct people's free time that's crazy that's crazy and you hear that and people would be like oh what you know what's the thing that is the that I, james Lindsay's talked a lot about lately where it's like you got these people who say that'd never happen here that would never happen here it it never happened anywhere until it did you know and so it, it's it's so ridiculous to think that and that these things aren't connected and I love how he does say, like, look, this sets up the – it primes us for dictatorship. It primes us for to submit to those experts, right? You know, like, look at how much priming do you think has taken place here with COVID where it's like, hey, unquestioningly follow these experts here, right? Let them – we're going to shut down the economy. We're going to do all these things. And you want to talk about fake news? I got a uh, – as an aside, an update from – NPR article today, it was prices increase 5.4% as the economy continues to surge. In inflation 
continues to be a problem as the economy surges. I don't think that's how it's that one works. Of the promises. Um, yep. Um, anyway, so but but the point is is that we're being primed right now to just listen to this these experts. And so if it's here, why not in all of these other areas? Um, and that's what the the people. I mean, when did soul write intellectuals in society or intellectuals in race? I mean, thirty years ago. Hmm. It was in the eighties or seventies, I think. Yeah. Um, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, one of his 50 and, books. I don't know. Right. And so, but the point is, is that, that we've been trotting out experts to prime us to listen to experts. Malice makes this argument about the public education system, how it's like, what it does is it teaches you from a young age that your value and, and intelligence is determined by this expert at the front of the room who you have to listen to unquestioningly. Um, and to, to prime you for, I, you know, I, I wouldn't go that far. I still think public education is garbage, but the point is, is that's what this does, is that's what this does. Trust these little, these few experts and it'll be fine. Um, here would be another modern example and I'll stop here. Sorry, I'm just kind of thinking out loud about this. Um, what if there was, if someone said, hey, just trust the experts with the pandemic. Hey, look, they're only going to think about this in terms of the virology, okay? This won't impact anything else. It's just the virology. Don't, don't worry about it. It's just this one little slice. Oh, wait a second. So, hey, that might also have to do with what you have to wear on your face or a shot you have to get or when you can go to work or how many people can be in this business or whether you can even be open as a business. Oh, wait, that determines how much money you're receiving if your work has been impacted. Or what you can say um, on social wait, media. Exactly, or what you can say on social media. So that's a, a contemporary example of, look, it's just this one thing. You know, let the experts do this one thing and how it cascades to all of these other areas where it's, you know, in what was it Ontario where the police could pull you over just to ask you where you're going, you know, and, and California and, and places like New York, they're having you know, at least during the peak of it where it's like report on your neighbors if there's too many cars in their driveway. Um, people stopping other people on the street where it's like, why aren't you wearing a mask outside, you know, and stuff. And so it's like, that's one example of, you know, this panel of experts. It's like, well, let's talk, we'll just handle this one area. And of course it's never just the, the one area yeah. and just follow that to its logical conclusion, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Germany had some very Orwellian, I suppose you can describe it, uh, uh, saying, so they obviously had this one out of control people's free time. They had the one will yep. set you free of freedom. About math. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, later about math. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. So, uh, yeah, it's incredible to see. And, and again, the people are like, well, we're not them. Like, it's not going to happen here. Well, again, this the, the book is written for that particular this particular case to say like this. There's, yep. there's a, a, an order of operations. And I have written down here that planning equals less control, which equals less choice, which equals less freedom. The planners know this, and one of the strategies of, of understanding that people are going to pretty easily figure this out is changing the definitions of those words, right? Like, you have mm -hmm. less control and choice. It's like, well, the control and choice is a very unnecessary things. Like, who wants to think about getting your next, you know, meal? Like, it's just this thing that we all want, so we'll just give it to you. as So you don't have yep. to worry about that choice. And then they have freedom, which, you know, they try to say, well, are you truly free if you have to worry about all this stuff? Like they change the definition. And this is what he gets mm -hmm. to at the end of the chapter. Um, you know, when he talks about, you know, it is often said that political freedom is meaningless without economic freedom. Okay, well, that makes sense. But they switch that. The planners switch that to mean, well, do you have economic freedom if you're in debt? Um, you know, do you have economic freedom if you have to worry about how you pay for your next meal? Do you have economic freedom if you have to worry about uh, how to get gas in your gas tanks? Like, no. So let's take that away from you. 
So we give you this political freedom, right? That that's the way they brand this stuff. And that's not the way it is. So the high continues mm-hmm. to say that this is true enough, but in a sense, so he talks about, I'll reread the, the top quote. There's often said that political freedom is meaningless without economic freedom. This is true enough, but in a sense, almost opposite from that in which the phrase is used by our planners, the economic freedom, which is a prerequisite of any other freedom cannot be the freedom from economic care, when this, which the socialists promise us, and which can be attained only by relieving the individual at the same time of the necessity and of the power of choice. Of choice. This is, you cannot have, you know, relieving you of all these responsibilities is not going to give you more freedom in the end. It's going to take it away because this is a prerequisite of, of all other freedoms. So can continue here. It must be the freedom of our economic activity, which with the right of choice inevitably also carries the risk and responsibility of that right. And I love that, that last uh, little phrase there because uh, a planned economy promises to relieve the individual of this burden of choice, the burden of freedom. And this relieves the individual of the burden, the risks and the responsibility of freedom. It eliminates freedom because as most people don't understand, especially growing up in a West in a society where it's like, oh, freedom is just, this is the, the natural condition of the human being is to be free. You know, people here think that that's, this is the default position. And if we just would stop doing all these crazy capitalist stuff and try to make people work for a living and work 60 hours, um, that they would, they would automatically be more free. But what they don't understand is freedom comes with responsibilities. Freedom comes with risks. When you have freedom, you're responsible for yourself. When you have freedom and you have a family, you're responsible for the family. It is not the government's problem to take care of you because once they do take care of you, they effectively own you. They're the head of the family now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so good. And just, again, how those are opposites, you know, or not opposites, but how it's it's actually juxtaposed. It's like you can't have political freedom unless you have economic freedom. And, and that last part is honestly... Uh, one of the reasons why I really like, because you know this this book and the True Believer were written seven years apart, um, and how basically Hoffer addresses how like the appeal why so many people might find this planning appealing um, because of the burden of freedom is it can be stifling for people that don't want to use it that for freedom like there are people that like you said freedom isn't the default state of society but it's also not the default desire of individuals. Right. You know, that's the, the Mencken quote, you know, people don't want to be free. They want to be taken care of. And I think that that is true for most people. It's just that there was a point in time in our history and actually for most of our history where your ability to be taken care of was actually entirely dependent on your individual agency to, pr- to pursue your own ends. So if I wasn't free to go and hunt and take care of myself, if I wasn't free to do all these things to provide for my family, I wouldn't be taken care of. And so people understood the connection between freedom and being taken care of. And so it, it was like, it's, it's like, this is a responsibility. This is just about what I have to do to survive. And we've lost that link to where, and this is where I think the propaganda has worked so well over the last hundred years, where, where we've just like slowly moved away from history, you know, where it's, look, this is, uh, we're not going to tell you exactly what freedom, you know, was, was used for right we're just gonna assume that it's the default state of things and uh so it's not that useful now so you can trust us we'll take care of these things for you um you know what 
you don't have freedom actually, you know, if you're in debt or whatever. And so by the way, there, there to give the devil his due, there is some utility to that, right? Like it is correct to say, um, to kind of combine stuff from the last chapter and this one, it is correct to say that if you have overwhelming debt, you are locked out of certain things. But the point is, as like he, what he said in chapter uh, six and what you went over earlier, is that as long as we all have the same rules that make it to where one, where we, where I acquired that debt or you acquired it or whatever, um, for whatever reason, it was that capital was accessible to us. We understand the risks or whatever. And then the same like, you know, way of paying it off is everyone. It's not like, and um, if you watch Ready Player One, speaking of dystopian futures, where there is this big mega company that buys people's debts and then puts them to work in this place and then just comes up with arbitrary ways to give them more interest and stuff. And so they're just in, you know, an indentured servitude for the rest of their lives. That's not the system we live in. It's not that arbitrary. It's once this reaches zero and here's the ways that it reaches zero, here's the interest or whatever. Once this is, then you're done. Then you have the debt or it's less or, you know, or whatever you can make smaller or larger payments. Um, but that's the point is that even though there are, there is, this is, goes back to them, um, attributing the cause to like a symptom or to like a phenomena, you know, that, or, you know, or blaming capitalism for something that it's like, like you said, they're just mad that there is an economic problem. Um, we're all, we're all playing by the same rules either way. Right. Um, some people might be required to, to take on more debt. Some people might start a little bit farther behind, but we all are playing by the same rules. And this idea that um, the planner can, can give us more freedom by taking, um, some of our freedoms away is ridiculous, but either way, sorry, that was a bit of a bit of a tangent, but I just was thinking about that Hoffer thing about how freedom isn't something that a lot of people want. A lot of people don't want that. Um, it's just in the past, they didn't really have an option to, to add, advocate responsibility. They had to take responsibility or else they would die. Nowadays, it's a different situation. Yeah. And that's the, the sweet irony of the, the TikTok guy. He's like, oh, you know, the thousands of years before yep. now, it's like, okay, yeah, that was freedom. That That is freedom in its true sense. As long as there's no, you know, warlord governing over, you know, the people, uh, the tribes back then. But it was like, yeah, you you were responsible for your own life. And in the, the truest sense, you didn't get to rely on anyone else. Um, so, uh, you know, that that is part of the burden of freedom. And luckily, we've built a free society where we've all prospered and progressed enough that we can help each other out. Um, with all these interconnected relationships. Um, but by by cutting all of those ties and going to a top-down authority to to have the course of power dictate what the plan is and how we ought to follow it, you're you're eliminating that freedom, uh, that choice, that the, yep. the, your choice to to pick what you want to do, what you want, you know, to to gain your own means to to build your own ends is uh, the ultimate risk and responsibility of freedom. Well, and, and just real fast before we get to the kind of the summary, it was freedom in the same sense that, you know, if you're in jail, there's a part of the day where you have free time to go roam around the yard, right? Mm. Or if you're in, you know, preschool where they say, hey, we have free time. And it's like, okay, well, is it really free time? What if I want to go home? Well, no, but you can color. Okay, but I don't want to color. Well, too bad. Okay, well, so this isn't free time then. This is, uh, you, you tell me here's three things you can do. I, that's a kind of freedom. Um, and that's, that's the freedom that these people were talking about, you know, the previous, you know, state of things type of freedom. It's like, it, it really isn't. And so whenever, both of those are situations where there's a planner determining your freedom, that's what they want 
to go to is where it's, yeah, you'll, you're free to operate within the plan. Well, how, how big is the plan? How many options are there? Like two, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Choice. Um, yeah. So to, to kind of summarize up, we're trying to, to get us um, organized as possible and get some main takeaways. So we have some pre-prepared and if you want, we just exchange, uh, I'll do the first and do second meal. We'll, we can do it that way if you yeah. want. Um, so the main takeaways we want you guys to to learn from chapter seven, we go through it is, is number one, planners promised by taking care of the less important aspects uh, in our lives, meaning the basic necessities like food, shelter, and clothing, we can focus on those higher values like education, beauty, and philosophy. But it is these less important aspects that provide us with meaning and freedom in choices we make. Um, even those those most mundane type of decisions we have to make, that's part of your freedom. Uh, and that shapes your your true identity by able to by being able to make those small decisions and those small choices that look small to us now, but every single choice you make is one, an exercise of freedom and two, um, extraordinarily important to to you being an individual and not having to follow this coercive authority. Yeah, what you're going to eat for lunch is is a burden to those who just have a lot of options. What you're going to eat for lunch is is a burden in a different way for people that uh, are starving. You know, and and so it it's not these are not minor things. Is my point. This is not I mean again. Look at the people of Cuba. It's like look. We'll take care of the food and the medicine. You don't have to worry about that. It's like, oh, well, people are starving. So how's that going? Mm. North Korea, same thing. People are eating crickets, actual cannibalism. Um, so the next thing, planning does, doesn't only affect us as producers, but also as consumers and vice versa. It doesn't just affect what we consume, but it affects how we produce. You know, we become widgets as well. You know, our ends, the things we want have to be managed within the plan. What if I want to start a hockey team in Florida, you know, or in, you know, Austin, Texas, it's, and the planner says, we don't want to put a hockey rink in that lot because they determine, look, there's the concrete and on the steel and all this other stuff. No, we don't think that should go there. We think that'd be, you know, better used as, you know, whatever, who cares? The point is, is that I don't get to do that thing, even if there was enough other people that wanted to do it. So our, our individual ends and goals have to fit within the plan. Um, so anything we want to do or make or invent or pursue um, or innovate, outside of the will of the planner has to be stifled via coercion and money is what makes like the fact that we live in a society where it's free exchange and we use money that's what makes it or that that freedom and that uh, agreed upon currency is what makes it where we can pursue our own ends but in a planned society um, both of those things are taken away or well three i guess one is the well there could be money in a planned society they th they say we're going to move to a moneyless society you might get a little bit of money but mostly it's you get this thing for doing this and this thing for doing this, not the money to pick and choose how you want, but also the freedom to choose what you want to buy, what kind of, you know, how many varieties going back to the example that Lindsay talked about, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, where he's like, yeah, there's only three hats in the Soviet union. I mean, that's an example right there. You know, what is produced and what you as a person, like what your labor goes into, all of those things are dictated by the planners, all of those things. So anything outside of the plan has to be, um, stifled and then they'll use coercion to get you back in line with the plan. 
Absolutely. Um, so third one is planners used or used to promise a potential plenty, but then changed their promise once they found their plans could never increase productive output. They then switched to promising wealth redistribution, which is what we hear today. Uh, wealth redistribution kills productivity uh, by decreasing the incentive to be in the market. So um, not only uh does even their idea, the, the promise of wealth redistribution, kill their original promise of increased production? Um, it now, uh, you know, w- what, why does it make sense to me for me to try harder than everyone else if I'm getting the same mm. thing that everyone else gets? Um, you know, it kills just the human motive to innovate and become better. And this is this is literally how you stifle progress. And you're going to find out, you know, even if there's that honeymoon period where where uh, production is increased for that short period of time, you're going to quickly find that you're going to regress to a, again, pre-capitalist, uh, pre-Western society. Yeah, which is not a good thing. <laughs> you know, no. I think we hit that that pretty hard there. You know, and the last one is, you know, planners claim that this like economic freedom there's actually a burden, it's an unnecessary burden because it leads to unequal outcomes because it leads to, you know, you have to work, you have to do these things. They say, look, the government can take care of it, you know, but the problem with that is, is that economic freedom is a prerequisite for all other freedoms. And, and that comes through risk and responsibility. You have to be in a society where you can take risks, where you can take responsibility. That's one of uh, Jordan Peterson's um, rules in his new book is that um, look, rewards you know weight or you know or treasure weights where responsibility or opportunity weights where responsibility has been abdicated and so it's like if you live in a society where you see people aren't taking responsibility aren't taking risks you can fill that niche and there might be some opportunity reward that waits for you there um but you have to have the freedom to do that having that economic freedom is a prerequisite for all those other freedoms to you know to risk or not risk you know or to innovate or not innovate if you don't have that, you don't have an access, access to any other freedoms, right? Again, it's like, if I'm shoveling snow, can I get money that eventually I can spend on a bike or I can spend on a shirt or I can spend on a video game or whatever thing? Um, either way, I'm the one that gets to decide that. But that economic freedom is what is the prerequisite for, for any other goals or any other means or any other desires I have. Um, if I have that, then I can't get any of it. Or if I don't have that freedom, then I can't get any of those things. So, Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think we summed it up pretty good here. Um, for those of you, you know, following along, if you haven't been able, this is episode number six. Uh, so we have five more episodes before this, uh, we kind of go in the chronological order according to the book. Um, but, uh, you know, I think all this information is really good. Uh, of course, uh, we, I, I always advocate that if you really want to learn every single thing that he's talking about, read the book yourself. Uh, it is with an audible account. It is free, uh, to get the audio, the audio only version, um, and there are a couple of resources I know we've been posting along the way that give us kind of a chapter by chapter free PDFs uh, online. Yep. So. There's some PDFs you can get that are like the first three chapters. There's some that it's like every odd chapter for some reason, you know, and not the even ones. Um, but either way, and you can get access to these. And there is, you know, lots of resources, as Kevin said. And, you know, I, I guess I, I do want to add one thing. I'm just for, for the folks at home, as Norm McDonald would say, I swear that's like, <laughs> it's like in my brain. Um, is that the main takeaway, we just laid out four things there, but if you go back and look at like the previous chapters, all of this is about how planning, which when you think about that, think top-down control, unelected bureaucrats, collectivism, whatever is incompatible with freedom in all these other areas. It's incompatible with freedom, you know, in a democratic system of governance. Of course, we have to be careful with that because we're in a republic. It's incompatible with the rule of law that is equally applied 
and it's incompatible with freedom in the economic sphere. Um, in fact, it, it all leads to totalitarianism. With the lack of consensus, there will have to be coercion in all of these areas. And this is like the first place where he gets into, where he's like, I'm not even going to try and, and, and I'm just going to come out and tell you this will lead to di dictatorship and totalitarianism if you allow to, uh, for the planners, for the elites, for the experts or whatever, to take your freedom in this one area, it'll, it'll, they'll take your freedom in these other places. And it's a, and it's a process. It won't happen overnight, but it's a process. And so this is one of the places where my point is, is why I wanted to say this, is that it's so prescient today. The stuff with COVID, the stuff with COVID, the stuff with, you know, climate, everything they use. It's like, trust the experts, give your power, give your autonomy to the experts, to the, you know, those who know better and they'll take care of this one thing. Let us take care of the, um, the environment or the, you know, the green new deal or whatever mm -hmm. global warming, let us take care of it with this green new deal. Oh, it's going to be total control over your life. Same with COVID. Let, hey, we'll worry about the virology. Oh, it's going to be total control over your life. And so this is prescient and, and it's, we've been building to this through this gradual move to these unelected bureaucrats, to these experts over the last 50, 60, 70 years. Um, and so this is why we're even reading this book is because this all matters right now. And if you, and Hayek was taking those ideas to their logical conclusion and saying, this is where it's happened before. We have to take the ideas of the things we're seeing right now to their logical conclusion and say, where is this leading? It's continuing down that road. Hayek lays it out. If you take this, it's going to take you to serfdom. We're on this path right now. And we have the examples um, from modern day of, of what's going on. And I, I, I think that they, they overlap really nicely with, well, not nicely as horrifying, but with the stuff that he lays out in this book. Or not yeah. in this, but not just in this book, but in this chapter. This chapter yeah. felt, and the next chapter is like another one. I was telling Kevin last night. I'm like, I feel like we could talk. I mean, it, it very much is this same idea of like, well, yeah. who gets to decide? Um, yeah. So it, it's gonna, it's increasingly gonna get more and more prescient. Um, and and so just that's why we're going over this. This isn't a, just a history thing. It's a this matters for today thing. Yeah. Um, so future episodes dropping on Mondays. Uh, we're going to stay uh, up the schedule. And we also have some exciting uh, interview opportunities coming up here. So, uh, you know, yep. stay subscribed if you're not. But uh, if you want to subscribe, uh, make sure to go to return to reason.locals.com to give uh, Truman a follow and join his growing community. That place is a, a fun house over there. I'm going to try to uh, post more, uh, you know, obscure pictures of uh, caulking. I know it's going to sound weird to people who do not know the background context to that, but I'm just going to leave it there. Right. Caught guns. Construction. Um, yep. Yeah. Find uh, Truman's writing uh, by searching Return to Reason on uh, Medium. Uh, he's also on ThinkSpot by going to Return to Reason. He's on Twitter at My Mundane Mind. And did I miss yep. anything there? YouTube, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Return to Reason on YouTube. Well, well and the locals, return to reason.locals.com. Yeah. Um, you know, I plugged that first. Well, I, I don't know if you gave the URL. It doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. I, I know that you did. Um, but anyway, but yeah, and Kevin, you know, engineeringpolitics.locals.com. Yeah, ENG underscore politics on Twitter. You know, same thing, spot, medium. I finally took the link because I had this pre-save thing of, of to your website, engineeringpolitics.com, out of like the list of links where people could find you the other day. Yeah. I'm like, oh gosh, I've had that in there for like way too long. But Kevin's in all the same places, engineering politics. Be sure to follow him on Twitter. He's He does not uh, get enough follows on Twitter, so be sure to give him a follow and sub and all those other things yeah, to show your support. Is, is that it? Are we good? That's what do you it, think? man. All right. Hey, good. thank everyone for watching. Thank you guys. Um, this is a lot of fun. We're enjoying this. And uh, like Kevin said, there's some fun stuff coming up. Um, but 
we'll have to, uh, you'll have to wait, stay tuned to see what that is. So yeah. anyway, thanks again. We'll see you guys next time.